Hello, and welcome back to Law School Revealed. I'm your host, Shay Smock, coming to you once again from the beautiful Bloomington, Indiana at Indiana University's Mauer School of Law. Today's interview is with Aviva Orenstein. She's a professor teaching civil procedure, evidence, and civil procedure too. I didn't have her my 1L year because I had Professor J for civil procedure, but when I was looking into going to Mauer and checking out all of the professors, Professor Orenstein is one of them who I stopped on her page and thought, these are the kind of people I want to know. She has such an interesting career path to get to Mauer, and she's the most inspiring person I've met at Mauer because she made it her own. She didn't follow any traditional path. She didn't buy into any bullshit that anyone tried to tell her along the way, like don't have children while you're in law school, or definitely don't take a year off, or any of the things that we hear that makes it sound like there's a strict and rigid schedule you must follow to be successful. She did it her own way. And I can tell what really sets her apart in a way that's easy to explain is her demeanor. When I went into her office and sat down and put my big microphone on her desk, everyone else has some sort of a reaction to a microphone in their face, either terrified or kind of excited, and they change to try to be a little more professional. In her case, she had no reaction. She seems completely unshakable. She's seen a lot of things, and she can handle whatever is coming towards her. And instead of having any weird reaction to my microphone, she offered me a hot cup of tea and immediately made me feel at home in her office, even though this was the first time we had ever met in person. In the interview, you'll hear her say that the change she went through in law school was that she realized she could handle anything and she's, quote, not daunted by a really long contract or whatever it is someone sits in front of her. I would say she's not daunted by anything in life. She's a real trailblazer who's definitely not looking for approval or perfection, and hers is the office I would go to if I had some amazing news to tell or if I needed to cry. That's the kind of person that Professor Orenstein is. So please enjoy our interview. So I was looking, I was disappointed I didn't have you at first, and obviously Professor Jay is great too. That's fantastic. But I was just looking through and I thought, just you do such interesting, meaningful work. So I was wondering if we could start with talking about your background and what kind of pro bono work you do. My pro bono work is, is actually slightly different from my academic work. Um, I, for a while, I just was, I had young kids myself, so I was interested in issues regarding children. So I was trained as a CASA, which is a court appointed special advocate. I'm a CASA. Also. Oh, yeah. So, it you know, so I, I um, and so for a while I was actually the representative of the child. And that's great work, pretty time consuming. But it turned out that I was more helpful to the CASA program by appearing with their attorneys, with the CASAs as their attorney in court. Uh, a lot of times, uh, the CASA has got a great relationship with the kids, has good insights, but doesn't exactly know how to to negotiate the courtroom. So I've done a lot of that work, and that's led to other family law work pro bono. I've done a uh, two guardianship cases, uh, one hugely emotional and difficult custody case, 
uh, where really we were on the side of the angels, um, and uh, and some other you know often advise people in the community. I really like knowing something practical that can help people and I really also have gotten some good courtroom experience out of it so it's been a it's totally been a win-win the other thing I do is I appear um, as as the attorney in protective order project cases whenever I can I try and involve my students so the current guardianship pro bono case I'm doing I have eight students doing research they all join me in interviewing the client Uh, it's got a very tough civil procedure aspect to it um, and everybody's doing a slightly different research uh, problem about how to notify a, um, a biological father who has lost interest but is in another country about the possibility of the child being having a guardian here in the United States. So it's just really fun. I like the, and respect the local judiciary, and um, I like the fact that I can uh, sometimes be of assistance to people in the building because family law is something that a lot of people need to know. Oh, yeah. And your research, does it sort of complement the pro bono work you do? No. It's okay. really different. I've written a little bit about guardians at Lydum, um, but my, my research area is in evidence doctrine and the nexus between evidence and culture. So feminist critiques of evidence or psychological critiques of evidence. But it's right now my work is very doctrinal. I'm working on a second edition of a book on trial objections. So it's very concrete reasons you can stand up in the middle of a courtroom and say I object. It's very interesting and it's, it's very comprehensive so I'm really glad it, it forces me to stay very current with the cases. But nothing at all like what I do in the courtroom. I, I, a lot of times I'm just really mostly helpful. Um, there are a lot of people who I just give advice on the side to about um, how to negotiate with their ex about um, parenting time. Uh, and it's as much just being one step removed as knowing the law. I can tell you, this is not worth fighting for in court. You're not going to get what you want. Here's the better way to get it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my, my, acad- my academic interests are slightly different. I think that's probably really beneficial because I can see how one part of it can really tug at your heartstrings and it's good to have an outlet that's different, even though you do evidence uh, in rape cases also, right? Don't you research? Right. That also is kind of <laughs> You know, some of those cases are truly harrowing, truly harrowing. But I really, what's great about doing uh, the pro bono work is to see a student. I mean, I consider it most successful if I can just go to the courtroom, sit back and let the student take over. That's that's when I know, like it, it, you know, obviously never at the client's expense, but um, but these students are really well trained and really well prepared, and it's great to watch them do it. So that's that's why it's particularly satisfying for me to do that kind of pro bono work because I can involve my students. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think it it's great to have a professor people can go to too who are interested in doing that kind of law and uh, talk to someone who can tell them the pros and cons and sort of what to expect and how involved you can wind up getting in these things. Absolutely. Because um, that's definitely something I was struggling with when I wanted to go to law school because I was like, I'd really love to do human rights. and um, But I was like, I also, I went through a PhD program and then couldn't get a job because I did what I love, which is critical media studies. And I thought, you know, I, I want to do things that are meaningful. I also 
want to be employed and hopefully use some of my background. And it's always, it's been really helpful to have professors here that I could talk to that like, well, I do pro bono work like this. And then, you know. I think it's a great insight. You don't, uh, you don't have to make a stark choice between um, uh, public service and just making money. You really can always do both. That's what everyone has said. So that is, it's good to hear that. (laughs) Okay, so can we start here with our first questions, which was your journey to law school? Totally boring. Um, I was just hanging around, um, having graduated college, and I was stuck in Ithaca, New York for a couple of years, so I decided to apply to law school. And you went, you stayed in Ithaca for law school, right? Are you from New York? Uh, I grew up mostly in New Jersey. And did you have any sort of idea what you wanted to study when you applied? I thought I was interested in international law um, because that was, um, and as an undergraduate, I studied sort of Middle Eastern studies. So I thought I would get the degree and then use it towards um, some kind of policy work. But I ended up just really liking courtroom law. And uh, my favorite course was civil procedure. Well, then you had your summer associateships, and what were those like? Uh, eye-opening. I learned that I'm not cut out for corporate life. Uh, but every job was really interesting, um, and uh, I was surrounded by very smart people in very cushy circumstances. But I didn't necessarily think... I mean, my, my favorite job was at Arnold and Porter, where um, they gave me very meaningful pro bono work to do. Um, this was so long ago that the D.C. Circuit uh, wanted to divest from South Africa, and they needed legal support for that proposition, that it would not be a breach of fiduciary duty to do so, and I'm the one who researched and wrote that memo. So you know, was, that was great work. But overwhelmingly, I just didn't adopt the lifestyle of the intense hierarchy and people kind of commanding my time. Uh, and I... I had my first two children in law school. So I just, I, I didn't want a life where somebody could say to me at the last minute, you have to stay late tonight. How, what was it like being a new mother in law school? I know that we have some that have, you know, had children before and are coming back to law school, but. Well, you know, law school is more flexible than, than, than people think at the time. And when you get out into the work world, there's a lot less time flexibility. Mm-hmm. And my teachers were great. It turned out I, my teachers were going through the same stage of life. I remember once going up to my uh, commercial law professor and saying, I'm sorry, I'm not prepared because my kid was up all night with an ear infection. And he said, me too. <laughs> like, so there was a sort of a bond. They, they kind of knew what I was going through. But I, I, really, I, I really liked it. I really, I, and I did law school actually in five years because I, I, I took two very light years, the years that the, the, the kids were born, the older okay. two. That makes sense. And then when you graduated, did you go straight into teaching or did you no, work? I spent, well, I spent a year at Cornell. Again, this is just because of personal circumstance. I wasn't ready to leave yet. So I spent a year at Cornell where I taught an undergrad course and also served as a resource person for people who are having trouble in law school. And that was an interesting. That was an interesting year. From there, I went on to a clerkship, and then right after my clerkship, um, I had my third son. So I kind of took a hiatus. I did some 
some brief writing. I wrote a petition to the Supreme Court that for certiorari that was granted. Um, so, you know, I, I had some fun stuff to do, but I slowly just took on, I started teaching at Rutgers Camden, and I took one course, then two courses, and pretty soon I was teaching full-time, and I went on the job market. I found yourself in Bloomington. Yeah, very fortunate to do so. <laughs> I love meeting people like you who didn't let law school sort of bulldoze your life. You made law school work for you and also your career, and that's kind of inspiring to see people be like, no, this isn't, I can handle this and we'll work it out no matter what's going on. There were, there, I remember times of being intensely busy, mm-hmm. um, but, but I think it actually made it easier that I wasn't able to put in the crazy number of hours that some people did. It, it's usually not productive. It's better to sleep and exercise, and not that I was doing those things, but I was away from law school and had other priorities, and I thought it, it kind of grounded me a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reason I wanted to do this, was to have that outlet that, you know, it still has to do with law, but it's me. <laughs> it's not what people are telling me to learn. Nice. Um, okay, so I'm glad you're happy to be in Bloomington. How do you feel about being here and about Bloomington in general? I really love Bloomington. It's a, I made a commitment, um, I think, to stay always. It's um, and I've spent some time. I took a, a two-year leave, and right in New York. I was I was in New York for 9/11, um, and I and I grew up on the East Coast, and I enjoy it very much. But I totally feel that Bloomington is my home. Uh, I cannot. I, I can't imagine going to the Y and not meeting people I know. Same for the farmer's market, same for the grocery store. And I really enjoy being surrounded by people I know in, in town. I have deep friendships with people in the faculty, with people in the synagogue. And at the, I, I live exactly a mile away, and whenever possible, I walk. So it's uh, the lifestyle and pace of, of Bloomington is just great. And as, as you know, there's a lot to do here. Um, if I hadn't been working so hard um, last night, I would have gone to Storyzilla, which is like Bloomington's version of the moth storytelling. I, um, I am very close to somebody who's going to be at an opera in, in November. Uh, in fact, he is one of the assistant uh, janitors at the law school. He's got a lead in, in, in an opera as a freshman, which is really remarkable. Wow. Uh, and it's, there's just so much to do and see here in a very um, stress-free environment. I, you know, Especially when I was younger and my kids were younger, my kids are now fully grown and, um, and launched in their careers, it really meant something to me that I wasn't wasting time commuting that uh, it's such a walkable, bikeable, livable town. And um, with a lot of, you know, very good city government, a lot of people who who share my values, some of the greatest social infrastructure. Um, I'm pretty involved with both Habitat for Humanity and Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, the food pantry. And they are just fantastic organizations. We have, I think, unrivaled um, domestic violence shelter here in Bloomington uh, that's Middleway House so there are all these services there are all these people who are great 
It's a, a rich culture. I mean, there's never a night where if I have time and I want to do something, I can't figure out something really exciting to do between the IU seminar, uh, cinema. And there is great live theater. I mean, we have, we have at least... I, I have sc- subscription tickets to three independent theaters, and I could also have sub- a subscription to the auditorium and to, I, to the IU students. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And, and everything's so close to each other. Everything's so close. Everything's walkable. When I was, I wanted a place where I had space for my dog and an outdoor area and things. So I was looking further off campus, and they said, "Oh, this is as far as off campus as you can really get." And I, I map quested it. I was four miles from the law school. I thought I'm practically still on campus, but for Bloomington, that's really far wow, away. Wow, you got a long commute. Yes, yeah. They're like, it takes ten minutes. <laughs> um, that is one of the great things I think about Bloomington too. How, what would you um, tell someone from New Jersey that was considering coming here for law school or just coming here? For law school? Well, I think that, you know, our law school, I think, has a couple of things that are unique. Um, there aren't really bad law schools. They don't, they shouldn't survive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, in my estimation, uh, the teaching is more valued here by the administration, which means that people both because of their own integrity and because I think it is valued institutionally, care about their teaching and the quality of teaching here is better than in most institutions. I really, you know, when you were telling me your lineup, you could have named four different first-year professors and I would have said, oh, they're great too. I mean, you really, it's, you, you have people who are dedicated to your learning who are really excited about being in the classroom and spend a lot of time thinking about how to be good teachers. Um, I don't think we're totally unique in that, but I think that's a strong point. I think what we really have going that is special and not as re- not replicated elsewhere is an atmosphere that balances intellectual rigor with um, true supportive community. Uh, there's no, you know, people don't get coddled, and I gather, although this still mystifies me, that people find me scary. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I couldn't be nicer to you. <laughs> but I get it. Being cold called under any circumstances is like nerve wracking. And, you know, even if the person's being nice and giving you a little time to thumb through your book, you, you feel like everybody's waiting for your answer. So I, I get that, that it's, it's challenging. And, you know, if you give a wrong answer, I'll go, no, that's wrong. Because we want to distinguish between wrong and right answers. Um, but I think there's a spirit, and it comes mostly from the students, uh, of generosity, supportiveness. There's no sense that it's a zero-sum game that, you know, if somebody else gives a good answer, that diminishes you, or if somebody screws up, that somehow elevates you. Um, I've just noticed that students are kinder to each other, more willing to share resources with each other, and the, the whole atmosphere of the place is significantly different from any law school, and I've taught at four law schools, any law school that I've experienced. I'd say that the faculty is particularly collegial, and we're known for that. Law faculties can often be very contentious. You have academics and people who are like expert at arguing. It's not really surprising. We don't have political conflicts. We don't have conflicts based on seniority. We just really all like each other. But I think what gives the sense of community is the fact that the students have been inculcated into a sense of real professionalism and supportiveness. And it doesn't mean that 
there isn't a lot of vigorous debate, but it's just in the context of a sort of mid Midwest pleasantness that makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference in, you know, I think people, I, we had a class yesterday in evidence about rape shield law, which is a very difficult topic to talk about, which people have very different opinions about. And if you don't feel safe talking to other people, you know, they're going to give you benefit of the doubt and know that if you have a controversial opinion, uh, you know, give you a chance to explain it and respect you even if they disagree with it, then you're not going to be as forthcoming. So I thought it was a great discussion in part because people were willing to talk honestly about uh, stereotypes about rape victims and why the rule may or may not be necessary in a way that wouldn't happen if you didn't have a sense of community. Yeah, the community is great here. Even just people letting you in to do a podcast interview <laughs> when they're not your professor. <laughs> you can tell when the, the professors are all around each other, they really are friends. And I agree, I don't feel like the students have some kind of weird competitiveness that you associate with law school if you haven't been here. Yeah. Um, everyone's cool, they just ask how classes are going, they're not trying to see if you're going to get a better grade than them when they ask. Um, Okay, so the last question has to do with music, and I'm going to ask Professor Jay about first civ procedure, which you could answer accordingly to civil procedure too if you want, or you can select some other way, but um, if either you know, pro bono or just your being a professor in law school, your own experiences when you're a student in law school, if that had a soundtrack, what do you think it would be? Well, I gave this a lot of thought when I was teaching civ pro too, which is personal jurisdiction. That definitely has a soundtrack, including uh, the famous Sonny and Cher song called I Got You, Babe. So there's that. There's, there's um, when you read the Burnham opinion on, ter- uh, on uh, transient jurisdiction, uh, you know, Fiddler on the Roof tradition just kind of pops up. But I can't say that I've given, uh, that, I, that I have a, um, a, um, a thought about the first semester civil procedure unless there, there's a song about the importance of reading rules. <laughs> there might be one. <laughs> we can look for that. <laughs> and memorization. <laughs> no, there, I, I disagree with that. There's no, there should be no memorization whatsoever. Oh, good, because I don't want to memorize them. No, and in fact, I always get irritated when people say, oh, I couldn't go to law school because I don't know how to memorize it. That's not what we do. Uh, it's rare that I know the answer off the top of my head to, like, what is the law about this? I remember one kid asked me, am I allowed to skateboard in the park? I said, I don't know. I said, well, aren't you a lawyer? <laughs> like, he was irritated that I didn't ha- know this rule. And I think that's the, the lay people's idea yeah. is that what you've done is you just memorize a lot of law. What we're teaching is a way of accessing law, like how to research, and analyzing law. Uh, there's, you know, people ask, well, should I just, like, review the rules? No. Review the problems. Apply the rules. You don't, and in evidence, effortlessly. You know, I'll be asking a question like, um, uh, "What is the special 403 test in 609A1B?" And they'll go, "Oh, I I know the answer." Like, it just kind of seeps into you as you apply it. You don't have to bother to memorize it. Mm-hmm. And it can free you up for thinking about other things, right? If you know you have a book where you're always going to be able to look this up. Yeah, it's it's rare in life that you don't have a minute to run to the library to get your book. So it's not about 
memorization. It's about strategy. It's about comprehension. It's about deep analysis. It's about policy. It's about linguistic. You know, you get a rule and say, well, this this is susceptible to different meanings. How would I argue the meaning that serves my client? That's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I love Cher, so I like that answer. <laughs> we'll play her. <laughs> um, okay, so the final question what would you tell you've really I feel like found your spot you you know what you're passionate about you know what you're researching you're great at what you teach I've asked people what would you tell someone who is considering law school but isn't sure mostly because they don't know what they want to do with a law degree I really you know first of all I think you have given the economy you have to be wise and not put yourself in extreme debt without a plan but I think what we've always said about law school is still incredibly true, and that is that what we're teaching is a way of thinking and analysis that is so valuable, whether you practice law or not. Look, the person who dedicated our law, you know, our law school and is named after, doesn't practice law. He he uh, owns communication companies and newspapers, but if you ask him. And this, I think, prompted the huge gift and the naming of the school, the you know Michael Maurer School of Law. He felt that that's where he got his training to be a successful business person. Similarly, you may do nonprofit work, you may do policy work, you may do um, lots of different kinds of leadership that require you to be able to run a meeting. And it's just amazing how much better lawyers are at running meetings than anybody else because they have a sense of relevancy, they have a sense of uh, of, of order, they, they can figure out how to make persuasive arguments, how to respond to arguments in an efficient fashion. Those are just incredible life skills. So that it's not a place, I don't think law school is an aimless place to park yourself so you don't have to repay your, your undergrad. And I think when I was going to law school, that was a perfectly respectable thing to do. <laughs> but uh, but when I was going to law school, anybody who wanted to could get a job, and it was, um, and 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 law school was a lot less expensive. So with this, I think it has to be a thoughtful decision. But I don't think that it's necessary that you know where you want to end up. It's just necessary that you know that these are skills that you're really willing. To work hard to to get because I think it is you know as you know law school is a lot of hard work but the payoff is visible even early on like do you feel do you see changes in your thinking that's what I'm trying to uh, write down about and kind of have a documentation of what is that change that you go through but yes all dorky jokes about <laughs> procedures and torts all the time um that come into your head that you never would have had before. Um, I definitely haven't gotten over that hump of thinking differently, but I can feel it starting. Yeah, and you know, and you, when you, you know, a lot of people when they go home for Thanksgiving are told that they're like less pleasant and more argumentative. <laughs> <laughs> and the truth is, they are. They're more analytic. They're more argumentative. They say, you know, define what you mean by dressing. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah, you know, part of it is you have to learn how to turn it off a little bit sometimes, but but you learn really helpful skills for um, for figuring things out. You're just not daunted. There's no length of a contract or a statute that scares me. I know I can get through it, and I can read it and understand it, and if I can't, there's something wrong, wrong with it. 
So that's what, you know, that level of confidence is what every student should graduate with. And that just serves you well no matter what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I'll see what my parents say over Thanksgiving. Um, but thank you. That is what I was trying to shed some light on with this is I grew up on a hog farm, never met a lawyer, and I was told after undergrad not to apply to law school because I didn't want to be the type of lawyer you see on television. I'm not interested in criminal sentencing. I, don't, I think why crimes are committed is a lot more interesting, and I didn't realize all the different things you can do with a law degree. Um, and so once I finally started meeting other people who did mergers and acquisitions or even didn't practice anymore and just owned this firm, and they, I don't, I didn't get to see them do their job, but kind of that confidence in the way they handled themselves was what really appealed to me. And what they all had in common was having gone to law school, even though they did very different things with it. That's very interesting. Yes. Yeah, so I loved that. And that's why I applied here. He went here, one of the people I met. So... Oh, thank you so much for yeah, sitting down with me. I hope I didn't take up too much time. No, it was lovely stuff to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on a deadline, but it was a nice break. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Professor Orenstein, especially if you're her mother. She suspected would be the only person to listen to this interview. I doubt that, but I think if her mother is listening, she's probably very proud and also thinks you ought to meet Professor Orenstein with her outreach, her evidence research, her teaching. She's a mother, a novelist, and generally just a really amazing person. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay revealing. But at least I'm sure of all the 